When you experience any storytelling medium, be it comics, movies or theatre, there are certain tropes and expectations that you associate with that art form. Movies, for example, usually take a more realistic approach than theatre, which has to compensate for its limitations by stretching what we view as reality. I mean, that's admittedly quite reductive, but if we take that approach and apply that logic to comics, would they have more in common with movies or with theatre? Certainly in this age of grand cinematic universes and widescreen artistic styles, the average reader would move comics closer to movies than to theatre, but maybe that's being too hasty. Both comics and theatre have to lean into an over-exaggeration of reality in order to properly convey emotion to the audience. And there's no denying that the dramatic flair you find in comics, especially in superhero fiction going back to Lee and Kirby, wouldn't feel out of place on the stage. The point I'm getting at is that when you're conscious of the tropes of the medium you're creating within, you really open up your storytelling options. As an audience member, you subconsciously expect the medium you're absorbing to act or feel a certain way, and it's that implicit expectation that creators can play with and subvert in order to surprise you with something entirely new. My name's Matt Loon, and today on the show, I'm joined by Dan Waters and Matt Leggetti to discuss the poetry and theatricality of comics. This is That's the Issue. I'm Matt Leggetti. I also go by the comic book Yeti. I write reviews and articles for my website, comicbookyeti.com. I also write other reviews for Multiversity Comics and uh, Comic Central syndicates um, some of my older reviews. Uh, I'm Dan Waters. Um, I write comic books. Uh, At the moment, I'm working on uh, Lucifer and House of Whispers um, over at Vertigo. Um, And I'm just about to launch Coffin Bound through Image Comics. Welcome to the show both. Uh, it's great to have you on uh, That's the Issue. It's really uh, it's really good to chat with you both. I will, um, I'll start with you then, Dan. You are off to SDCC. As we record this, you're off to SDCC on uh, on Wednesday. I am, yeah. yeah. Um, how, how prepared are you? Are you ready? Yeah, sort of semi-prepared. Um, I haven't done the con <laughs> before. I've done New York a few times now. I haven't done San Diego. Yeah. Everyone who has, uh, has been sort of giving me that that look and that noise of whoa every time uh, <laughs> my first one. yeah i've never been i've never been to either and they kind of they excite me and terrify me in equal measure um just the the scale of them is just a little overwhelming for me i think but um but i imagine it's going to be different for you as a creator to be on kind of that side of the table a little bit really uh yeah i mean i'm not um i'm not exhibiting uh, but i do have sort of signings and uh, uh horror panel i'm doing on thursday but i'm getting into um i think i'm realistically getting into san diego about 2 a.m on wow on thursday morning and then i've got a panel mm. on thursday morning so that's going to be a, <laughs> a different kind of horror for you yeah yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting <laughs> yeah yeah who's the panel with uh, it's an image comics horror panel mm. so i know gillen's on it and mm. jeff lemire and Maxwell Prince. 
Awesome. And one or two other people. Have you ever been to SDCC, Matt? No, um, I've always wanted to, but I also hear that it is just crazy, like packed to the brim with people. Um, mm. And as an introvert, uh, that sounds overwhelming, but it's also <laughs> there's so many great creators who go there. And it's like the one of the big, you know, milestone things that you have to do as a comic book fan. So it's mm. always been on the list. Yeah, it's sort of like comic book mecca, isn't it? A little bit, and I know it's kind of self styles itself that as that as well. So which I kind of like uh, I bulk at a little bit, but at the same time, like it's okay. it it's an amazing show, isn't it? It's such a massive, massive thing, mm-hmm. um, bigger than bigger than New York Comic Con, I think as well. Really, I don't know how whether it is in scale wise or not, but it feels like it feels like a, a more um, a more like a centralized thing part of the year, you know. It does, yeah. It's it's a destination more than any other con, it sounds like. Um, and Matt, you're coming to uh, Thought Bubble this year, aren't you? Yes, I can't wait. Um, I've never been to the UK before, um, and I, I probably won't have a lot of time to explore outside of Leeds, but uh, I'm very excited because I've only heard great things about Thought Bubble. It is a great festival. I mean, you've been a few times, haven't you, Dan? I have. I mean, I'm... I was pretty much uh, my my career. Uh, I owed to Thought Bubble. Oh, really? Casper um, Wingard and I took uh, Limbo. Five pages of Limbo there when mm. Image were over. They were doing. Uh, they were they were looking at pictures. There was a sort of a, a a process where you could sort of pitch it to the festival, and then if the festival liked it, they'd pass it on to Image. Uh, and then, awesome. then you can sort of sit down with them and, and, and talk and, you know, try and pitch it in person. And yeah. that, that's how we got Limbo picked up. So I think that was, what, five or six years ago? Yeah, that'd be like um, 2000. Well, I mean, 2014. 2000. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's where I got started properly in comics. And I've been back every year since then. Are you going again this year? Yeah, 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 for sure. Awesome. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. We'll all be there. Fantastic. I mean, that, that I'm glad you brought up Limbo, actually, because that's how I first heard about you and about Casper. And then, you know, I remember picking up Limbo. I think I even did an, uh, an email interview with you both um, back in the day. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, how was that process for you? Because it was quite a collaborative work, Limbo, wasn't it, for the, for the two of you? Yeah, it was very collaborative. It was sort of um, hours and hours on the phone. Um, I mean, especially back then, I wasn't, I was uh, still doing my degree. I was doing my master's. So I was doing that part-time and then I was working on Limbo. And, you know, it's rare that you have that much time to sort of dedicate to a single project, um, particularly. So, like, both me and Cass would just sort of live and breathe that book. And we'd talk every, every day for just hours um, about what we wanted to do, about, you know, what we could do, what we could get away with, all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. by the time we got to the stage where we had a script, it would be it would be already be sort of really really sort of well tempered out. It was really liberating, but it was really terrifying. That the whole point of doing a book through image is you can do whatever you want, but the sort of the flip side of that is is there's no real like safety net. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, you're making your own book, and there's no one there to tell you if you do something dumb, uh, except mm. except Casper. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the good part about you know being so collaborative and working with someone. You know, the, oh, yeah, the no, idea. Can't, can't tell me if I do something dumb. Don't, you know, like, no, uh, no problem with that. <laughs> do you still turn to him? Does he still come to you when you've got like ideas for things? Because watching you both, you know, or, or seeing you both kind of go on to you know, bigger and bigger things, you know, you're obviously doing uh, in the Sandman universe with, with DC, he's been drawing like Dr. Afra and he's been doing, um, you know, he's been doing uh, Peter kind of Thunderbolt and things mm -hmm. like that. I mean, he's, you know, you've both gone from strength to strength and, you know, your careers have kind of skyrocketed almost, you know, so it's, uh, do you still turn to each other? Do you still catch up and, and things like oh, that? Oh yeah, for sure. Like we're still really close, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and stuff. I think we, we last spoke like this week for about an hour. Yeah, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to find uh, sort of enough gap in both our schedules to go go do another thing together, um, yeah. which it looks like will hopefully happen next year or for next year. Oh, awesome. Oh, that's, that's really cool. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Limbo, Matt? Yeah, it's... Um, uh, I'm ashamed to admit it. It's in my to-read pile next to my bed, and I have not gotten to it yet. But... <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. You're I, in for a treat when you do get to it. It's a very good book. That's what everyone tells me. I'm so excited because I I loved Casper's work in Angelic. And Dan, mm. I love Deep Roots, as you know, I've made very clear online. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so that's where I discovered both of you. So when I heard that you had a book together, I was like, oh, I need to buy this immediately. And I did. And I uh, I can't wait to get to that. I that's what I I love about the more the more kind of comics that you end up reading the more you kind of dive down a rabbit hole really of things like this because you you find that these people like there's connections with creators you know there's worked things that they've worked on previously and, and you know and you've done you've got um uh, you've got white noise which is mm -hmm. the kind of the writers um you know group that you you're a part of the creators group um and you've got um uh, let me let me see if I can get them all. You've got Ramvi, you've got mm -hmm. Rhino Sullivan, yep. you've got Ar Alex Patnadol. Yep. Um, anyone else? Or is it just uh, the four of you? Yeah, it's just yeah, the four of us, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the four of us at the moment, but it, it always will just be that as well. Um, How did that get started? <sighs> trying to, like, like put the put the exact pieces. I think it was, <laughs> it was sort of thing of us meeting and realizing how, like, Ryan and I have known each other a really long time. He did some backup stuff. Uh, him and played Klaus. He did a uh, Void Trip at Image. They did um, mm -hmm. backup stuff in in Limbo as well. Uh, when we met Ram, we really hit it off together, and we we realized that we were we wanted similar things out of comics, and we wanted to sort of do similar things to comics. Yeah. Uh, so we we sort of it, it made sense to sort of club together a bit i guess and alex and i had just been approached to write uh, assassin's creed together uh, to write an assassin's creed comic together um and we didn't really know each other at the time they they just decided they wanted a a pair to work on this book um and once we started working together it became really apparent that alex was also uh, very much cut from the same cloth yeah. uh, we brought him in and uh, I mean, you know, White Noise is a it's, a it's a studio, but it's it's quite a it's quite a loose colla uh, collaboration in that in that it's it's something that works for us rather than the other way around. So we're always sort of like there to either critique each other's work, each other's scripts or pictures or whatever, but also to sort of 
it, the whole the sort of point of it is is having people who who aren't afraid to sort of put the boot in a little bit mm-hmm. when it comes to that stuff because comics being as small and as tight knit as it is, it ends up being very very supportive, which can sometimes be to its detriment, right? Because you can sort of end up not wanting to hurt people's feelings or whatever, um, and, and sort of not maybe not maybe pushing people as hard as as you could. Whereas wide noise is, is very much not that. It's it's having people who you know aren't afraid to tell you if you if you're doing something crap. Yeah. And and people who trust you to do the same thing for them to tell them if they're doing something crap. Mm. Um and I think that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like it's kind of um a, a natural extension for you of the kind of relationship you had with Casper is this idea of just, you know, having someone there you know behind you and supporting you but at the same time supporting you in an, in an honest way and just saying look you know i want the best from you but this is this is not it or you know i want the best for you maybe just do this instead kind of thing yeah i mean casper is you know very tight with what he's sort of the the honorary artist uh, in <laughs> yeah. so yeah it, it's very much a very similar relationship we're all part of the same sort of group of creators i guess seen some um articles saying casper was a member of white noise and i was like is he (laughs) he is but he doesn't you know we don't want to sort of uh tag him in when we're like sharing a million scripts because that's he's busy right (laughs) (laughs) well it's um it's funny that you wrote something with alex and now you're doing earth crosser uh pairing up again yeah i don't know how much i can really say about that because i think it's gonna be like a proper announcement i mean like i can i know i can talk about it but not about what the actual book is but that was Mm. uh kind of that it was it was us having enjoyed working together but we've only worked together on licensed things which obviously isn't as much freedom um just just by its nature uh so we've never done a create our own thing together before so alex had this idea which I thought it was really great. It wasn't quite. It wasn't quite one hundred percent there yet. You know, formed, uh, and I had I had an in uh, that I thought was really interesting, which was kind of a, a very me in to a very him project. Uh, so <laughs> it seemed like a perfect opportunity to finally sort of uh, pull the trigger and and make something together that was ours. That's awesome. I've I've um I've. Uh, obviously got you on the show now i've spoken with ram m- multiple times about mm-hmm. um about uh paradiso and, uh, and the last time he was on uh, about his work for dc and i had um ryan o'sullivan and plaid klaus on um about a year or so ago when uh when void trip first mm-hmm. came out um i have not nailed down alex yet and um, <laughs> i hope he i hope he's listening to this because uh we we had uh, a few back and forth we, we email each other um fairly frequently about about things and um he we tried to arrange him to come on the show at one point when uh, when i was first starting uh, this show back up and uh, we couldn't we couldn't get down a um a time so i'm going to try and um i'm going to try and get him on the show as soon as possible and then i'll have collected the full white noise set and that's uh, and that's as a collector that's quite important to <laughs> <laughs> but um matt you've been um a comics critic for a while now with uh, as you said with comicbookyeti.com um what how how did you get started with with comics criticism oh so this actually uh starts with having a kid because i realized that i didn't have time to play video games or keep up with 
movies or TV anymore. <laughs> but when I was chasing uh, my daughter around, like she'd be, you know, playing with toys or whatever, and I'd have my phone on me. So I, uh, I got a bunch of uh, trade paperbacks from um, Humble Bundle, and they had like an image collection. So I was reading a bunch of those. And I would read them and I'm like, some of these are really good. Like I, I want to talk to someone about how great these are. And I tried talking to my wife and I got the, mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> okay, not the right audience for this. And so I was like, well, I, it's been a while since I went to journalism school. And uh, like, I, I don't know if I'd consider myself a journalism or like a, a real comic book critic. And uh, I have no like real experience with journalism because I use that journalism degree to go into advertising. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own website. I'm going to talk about comics my own way. I felt like I had a unique offering because I was like, well, a lot of times reviews are in my, you know, ADD opinion way too long or, you know, it's kind of sometimes they can feel written for other critics or I don't know. I I was just like, I am nowhere near as well-spoken as critics like Claire Napier. And I never could be like, cause I hold her like she's incredible. So I'm just going to do how, how I like how my brain works. And I'm going to break this up into chunks and do like the, the elevator pitch for it, do a slightly longer uh, summary and then like bullet out what I liked and what I didn't like and just make recommendations based on on the art and the writing. And, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, hey, this isn't like anything else that I've seen. So I got some traction that way. Um, I probably have an unhealthy obsession with Twitter. And so that really helps market everything. And, you know, just more and more uh, it got traction and, you know, the comics community is great. I had no idea that I was going to be reviewing so many indie comics, but uh, there's a real need for uh, comics critics out there, especially as larger, you know, sites or places like, you know, Paste mm. Comics closed down. Uh, we need more critics than ever. Yeah. How do you, because... You know, Dan mentioned, you mentioned it briefly, Dan, the idea of, you know, the comics community being so, so small and, you know, you want into, you don't want to be in an echo chamber, you know, you want, you want honest kind of feedback from your fellow creators. As, as a critic, how do you, how do you find that balance that between kind of just signal boosting and between that and actually, you know, giving honest criticism of work? So that's the hard part because, you know, as a fan and a critic, uh, I don't, I don't love giving negative feedback. I feel like a lot of times negative feedback can be based in, you know, just opinion. And so a lot of times if I do have negative feedback, I'll caveat that with like, this might just be my opinion, but this is something that didn't feel like it worked for me. Mm. Uh, I prefer talking up comics, but I don't want to just be like <laughs> PR for every comic that I love. So I try to balance it out and some things work better than others. Um, I try to like, if things set off a red flag, like, you know, trigger warnings or, um, you know, art that I could not 
decipher what was going on. Something that feels more more obvious. Then I'll make a note of that in the review. How do you, um, Dan? How do you approach um, like uh, critical reviews of your work? Do you do you read them? Do you avoid them? Is is that kind of something that is on your radar at all? Or I mean, I think I think the sort of uh the mandated responses like oh, i've never looked at a review of, of any of my work um but it's not true um <laughs> you, you read them and uh, yeah sometimes you get you get you get negative ones and you know see people can't see what you're trying to do or whatever but you know I, i'm more more inclined to sort of look for patterns like if there's a bunch of people who have a bunch of reviewers have the same have the same sort of criticism of, of a piece and i think well maybe that's you know, I want to dissect in myself uh, what what's gone wrong there, um, why it hasn't quite landed. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I think criticism and critical criticisms um, pretty important. Hmm. Beyond that, I mean, I don't know. You, you don't you don't you don't want to let it, let sort of positive criticism swell your head either. Um, so it's 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 a balance. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you can get extremes in both directions, can't you? Really, and I think it's, I think it's a little, it's a little easier for me anyway. When I, you know, if I get like overly glowing positive criticism, I tend to kind of be like, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> but, but that's just my own personal thing. But then it's the same with overly negative. If someone is just, you know, this is completely shit, then it's just like, well, okay, that's it's not for you then, you know. Whereas I think, I think it, it's the. The middle ground, I think, is more important when people have an uh, have a an informed opinion or just a, you know, even if it's just a subjective one, but as long as it's well reasoned and balanced, and I think, I think that's what um, you know everyone everyone needs, isn't it? Really, everyone needs to have that well balanced opinion, and everyone needs to kind of pay attention to people with those balanced opinions. I think there's, a, there's an interesting, uh, interesting. But there's a, there's a, I might be talking out of school because I'm sort of thinking off the top of my head, but there's a. This seems to me to be a sort of trend towards a because comics sort of has this everymanness to it in that it's a very inclusive community and a very and a very um, sorry I'm looking for the right word but there's there's there seems to be this because I, I see the opinion a lot that every comic might be someone's first right um, so and so every comic should be sort of geared towards that at least to a certain extent. Um, just something I really don't hold with at all because I don't think any other medium has that hang up. I don't think anyone sort of goes like, ah, you know, David Lynch is is, is pretty good, but imagine if a David Lynch film was the first film you ever saw, you 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 wouldn't like films, and therefore a David Lynch film is bad. Yeah, uh, and you don't get that. You don't get that with Ulysses. Yeah. You don't get people going, you know, ah, oh, you know. But what if the first book anyone, the first novel anyone picks up is is James Joyce's Ulysses? Um, you know, it's mm. it's not going to make any sense to them, and it's going to put them off novels. And comics kind of has this this they, this this hang up on this idea that, that any comic might be someone's first, and therefore should be accessible to anyone. Uh, and and I think sometimes reviews can can gear a little bit in that direction, where it's like you know if, if it's if it's a little bit more uh, dense or uh, or not accessible, you know, sort of issue seven of a thing isn't accessible. It's like well. Maybe read one or six first. <laughs> I think that's more true now than ever, really, as well, because, I mean, that whole idea of every comic someone's first, you know, it came from an era when 
you know every superhero comic is you know needs to stand alone and it, it you know it needs to kind of sell to the widest possible market as well you know where you know it, it's on a comic book stand so it was more likely that every comic could have been someone's first whereas you know that that mix you know the fact that that's the the marketplace has changed and and the fact that the way of writing comics has changed as well you know because the seventh issue of fantastic four you know from 1963 or four whatever you know could be read on its own whereas the seventh issue of a a modern image series or you know even a marvel or dc is is designed to be read as part of the serialized work isn't it you know it is it is the seventh chapter in in someone's story yeah it's it's strange because we have this sort of the further hang of like okay yeah but it's still it's still serialized fiction um which is fair enough but most of dickens novels were released as serialized fiction i imagine sort of jumping into chapter 27 of uh, great expectations you know you've been in the similar situation of of having to sort of pick it up (laughs) jumping on point (laughs) chapter 27 new reader friendly Dan, what you said about, you know, books and films, it's something that's been on my mind a lot because I remember like 15 years ago picking up Sandman and being like, well, I don't understand why everyone loves this. It's just so weird. And I was a lot younger back then, but I also hadn't read a lot of comics before that. Then years later, I'm rereading it after reading tons of comics and I appreciate how it broke the rules and did its own thing and was so different from everything else being done in that era. And I felt like I understood it more. And that's why a lot of times when people are like, Oh, you want to get someone into comics? Give them Sandman. I'm like, I don't know if that's the best entrance to the, uh, to the media. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I agree. Um, and wouldn't Sandman be poorer if it did sort of spend half its time trying to be an entry point. I have one because you, yeah. can, pick up, you can pick up different exactly. issues and, and get a very different experience. Like you could pick up the, uh, you could pick up the, the dream of cats issue. And I think, you know, sort of mm-hmm. uh, a kid could pick that up and, and just really enjoy it. But then there's the more serialized arcs. There's the weirder stuff. It, it's a very mixed bag and it kind of does everything. <laughs> Yeah, it, it goes back to what you were saying about like David Lynch. You know the the fact that there's, you know, he's he's widely regarded as as a master in his field, and and likewise with Sandman, it's it's like it's it's regarded as one of the you know the the masterpieces of of comics. You know, one of the things that people, it's it's one of the things that people turn to when they say this is good comics. You know, this this is you know yeah. this is great a great piece of comics. But again, I think the the stigma of comics, as you said, is this idea of if it is a great comic, then everyone should be able to read it um and it's the same with like david lynch or or any you know any creator that creates something that is almost designed to to play off and subvert those tropes like watchman everyone says watchman you know everyone should read watchman but watchman works best when it's absorbed as as a piece of fiction that critiques the medium and if you're not familiar with that medium then it's not you're not going to get the the full intent of the creator behind it really are you right and i think that's that's something that is is strange about comics or maybe you know more more unique to comics is that idea that 
um, you know, oh, Watchmen is brilliant, therefore you should watch it. You know, no one's turning around and saying, oh, you need to, you, you like television, you should, your first TV show should be Twin Peaks. And it's like, well, no, because that's, it's <laughs> impossible. You would have such a weird, skewed vision of what TV is if you just dove straight into Twin Peaks. And and part of the charm of that show is is the fact that it does kind of, it does subvert tropes and expectations that you've built up over years of watching you know, normal telling. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of, that's definitely true of, of, of Sandman and, 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 and things like Watchmen as well. Yeah, I mean, I th- uh, you know, part of the problem is probably in um, how comics aren't quite canonized in the same way as, as TV and novels in that there's not the presumption that everyone grew up with them or not the presumption that everyone's sort of engaged with them. Um, you kind of expect people to have seen some TV. Like, you know, Twin Peaks is, is a, a lot of what it's uh, sort of messing with trope-wise is the soap opera. And you sort of presume uh, a knowledge of the soap opera in, in most people. And the same with the novel, you know, everyone everyone has to read them at school, at least. Um, so everyone's everyone's done done some novels. Um, comics <laughs> isn't necess- doesn't necessarily have the same thing, which I get which I think probably compounds the same that the sort of attitude of wanting everything to therefore be accessible um, because it might be a chance to, yeah. to grab another another reader. But I don't think that always has to be the priority of a piece. Yeah, I agree. I mean, having you mentioned it, Matt, as well about the idea of, you know, you're on you're on Twitter quite a bit and you you know, that's how your work has got traction and, you know, and you said Dan, obviously you went to Thought Bubble and got your work out there and, and you know got seen by image comics and things like that. As you know, as 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 a creator and as a critic, uh, both, how do you feel that something like Twitter has affected, you know, the the landscape really? Because you know, you both touched on the idea that the comics community is is small, and it is it's a lot smaller because of something like Twitter. But that does come with good and bad as well, doesn't it? Yeah. I, so comics, I I can only speak for how it is in America, but you know, you, you aren't taught it taught them in school if you don't grow up with them it's you can go your whole life without really running into comics like sure you have comic book movies you know based on marvel or dc um but there are you know other movies out there that you don't even know are coming from comics but if you want to actually read a comic you have to go to a specific location to buy them they don't have them in you know drugstores anymore or like it's you have to go out of your way to engage with the medium on Facebook. Uh, you know, you don't really see a lot of comics Twitter, you know, the more people you follow, the more they'll pop up. And so then you follow those people and it kind of gets the ball rolling in that direction uh, to make it a little bit easier. I don't know if it's just, you know, an algorithm to, to think for that, but I feel like it's easier to kind of stumble into that community and it's easier for critics and for fans than it is for creators, because I feel like creators can, you know, everyone's, everyone's a critic on Twitter and on social media and, you know, fans or whatever you want to call them can be very loud when they want to be. So mm-hmm. there's a double edged sword quality there. What's your experience being done uh, with Twitter? Um, I mean, I, I don't remember comics before Twitter, so there's that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a difficult one because it's obviously been a force for 
force for good in a lot of ways. It, it gives people a platform who wouldn't necessarily have had a platform before or would have found it harder to, to find one. Uh, you know, things like Patreon, Kickstarter, whatever, they're all um, giving people a chance to find audiences and bypass publishers if they need to, uh, if they need to prove an audience is out there. Um, but obviously you have an absolutely toxic element uh, on the other end. Uh, you know, people getting harassed, people getting harassed off Twitter. Um, there's There's been some absolute nonsense um happen on that website yeah it's, it's a tough one i think it's 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 difficult to engage uh with people in, in big groups like that i mean personally it's it's been it's been absolutely fine I've, I've been on twitter for quite a while and started to use it more properly um maybe in the last year or so and for me it's it's absolutely fine but you know i'm sort of aware that i i i start out from a position of quite a lot of privilege um especially on yeah. something like that yeah i mean i do think that yeah it is it, it's easy for the three of us potentially to, to talk about something like that from a almost from a slightly detached point of view whereas you know other other people in in different positions would be completely different although i do think that the, the new tagline for twitter should be absolute nonsense i think that's i think you've, you've nailed uh you nailed a good a good motto for that website i think it's a motto for 2019 frankly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. knock it on the head it's nonsense Let's uh, let's talk about Coffin Band then, because um, Coffin Band number one uh, yeah, comes out. Yeah, uh... <laughs> 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 that, that reminds me. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. Um, it comes out seventh of August uh, from Image Comics. Um, I am. Uh, it's got yourself um, writing. It's got uh, Danny on art, Brad Simpson, and Aditya Bidikar as well. Yeah, and um, on design. Oh, really? Ah, brilliant. Um, what I um, what I always love uh, to ask people is this: the idea of when a new you know new comic comes along. Where did this kind of initial concept? Where did like kind of the the first spark of this idea come from? Um, primarily from from Danny and I wanting to work together. It was it was a book very much like Limbo, and that's kind of why I knew I wanted to take it to Image. Was you know, there's a lot of hard work goes into into putting out an Image book. So it's not something I'd ever want to do if it wasn't something, a book that was totally sort of collaborative and something you were making because you have like a real fire in your belly to make make the thing. And mm-hmm. Danny and I met um, at a couple of cons and we, we got talking properly at Malta, uh, Malta Comic Con a couple of years ago. Um and we knew we had similar influences. We knew we, we liked the same kind of things. Um, her work is obviously astounding. I think she'd just read Limbo at the time, so she'd like that. And a lot of the elements sort of fell into place just as we talked. And it's like, okay, well, we both sort of want to do something around death and, and sort of meditate on that a little while. And Danny's art, you know, she does beautiful sort of, black and white inky but dirty gritty landscapes so that sort of started to give us a an outline of a setting and um she draws these wonderful uh female figures and uh she she did like a a commission at some point it was it was a woman sitting under a tree um i think i think under a tree with a skull or a gravestone and 
that really sparked something for me. And I was like, yeah, that commission you did, I really like that character. Can we sort of flesh her out? And that turned into Izzy, um, Coffin Bound. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of, I was reading, it was a lot of sort of like really grim philosophy and all this kind of stuff. And we hit on this idea of trying to, whether whether or not you could erase yourself from the world. Um, so then we went, went and made a book about it. It's um, I what I love about the I mean we we've both uh, myself and Matt have both been uh, lucky enough to to read the first issue. Um, I I thought it was I thought it was fantastic, and I thought it was okay. what I loved about it most is um is this idea of um wow it just it's just generally the kind of it's very tran- transportative it's a it kind of engrosses you as as you you kind of involved in this this world uh that you've uh, you've created it's quite a small in the first issue it's quite this small world centralized around izzy that kind of slowly expands um and uh i think the the thing that struck me most was your dialogue choices for the characters um you know they they're uh, they're not um, natural. They're not realistic. They're they're quite wordy. They're um, they're poetic. They're enigmatic kind of um, speeches that some of these characters give. Um, what were some of your your thought processes behind behind writing it like that? <laughs> well, I, I have um, I don't know a lot of uh, sort of theatre influence as well. There's a sort of lineage of um, of sort of Beckett and Pinter. Um, mm which sort of like branches off into the Americans with sort of mammoth. Um, but then you've got, I guess, um, yeah, even even sort of, you could even sort of, I guess, put Alan Bennett and those sort of very, very British, British writers into, into that. <laughs> um, but I'd never sort of seen that done before. In comics, that kind of harsh and sort of staccato um, speech um with a yeah a little bit more enigma in in the dialogue um which which I've always really enjoyed on stage and I have a I I've had the argument with uh not the argument but the debate with a with a fair few people that um I think comics and theater are far more closely related uh than comics actually are with um film for example I think hmm. there's a similar amount of um exaggeration required um, by film, uh, sorry, not by film. That was the point. By comics and by theatre, because theatre, generally speaking, the expectation is that the audience is going to be at a distance from the actors, so everything's kind of exaggerated. Movements are exaggerated. Speech, you know, you know, dialogue is delivered at a higher volume than it would be uh, at the most basic level. That's you know, mm-hmm. uh, an exaggeration that's required, and comics. Um, requires the same thing because it's a it's a static medium. It's you know you you're not going to get people's ticks and their small gestures because there's just not enough space on a page to communicate that stuff, and it would it would become difficult to read. So I think there's a similar exaggeration required. So I wanted to take that element of exaggeration, which I hadn't really seen done before, um, mm. which might just be my limited reading, but. I, I I wanted to try that, and and so I did. I think it's yeah. I think it it, it really works. It's I've not made that connection with theatre, but there there definitely was a um, 
a very poetic kind of uh, rhythm to the the speech and a rhythm to the you know that expanded into the story as well the way it's um, the way it moved along and the way it, or the way it kind of flowed through the characters as, as the story went along no thank you um what did you um, what did you think matt yeah i i actually had a few notes on that just because i was like it it's almost shakespearean but not flowery but there's a pointedness and to the dialogue and so many of these clever turns of phrase um <clears throat> it feels just different from everything else out there which uh, is personally what i just love seeing in comics is is something that that stands out i just love not only how you've crafted this manner of speaking that all the characters follow but how this world just feels like it has its own logic and it's like a dream and we just accept that logic easily and move on and how do you come up with realities like that like it's more than world building it's like it feels like you're building everything from the ground up. Is that just you and Danny? Like, all right, what do we do here? We've got this, this like world that feels like it's on fire. And granted that could be Brad Simpson's amazing Mm -hmm. color work, but then you have this like colder world with this character who we don't really know yet. And we don't know where he is. And he's talking about surfaces and like, (laughs) (laughs) how do you, how do you come up with all of this? Something like that is wanting to explore. I mean, that's about just taking. We've got a central, con- you know, conceit with with what Izzy's trying to do, and it's trying to look at that from a different angle. Always trying to find like a different lens into into the same thing. Definitely elements like like that. Um, I won't won't talk about too much because the book's not out yet. But um, sure, yeah, it, it's it's about trying to look at the same thing from a different point of view. I mean, the, the fact that Izzy's initial response to, to finding out she's going to die is, isn't one of sort of despair. It's, it's one of uh, acceptance is I think may, maybe the most dreamlike element uh, to the book uh, beyond the vulture and uh, earth eater and <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> obvious ones. Um, but that was, again, it was, it was wanting to explore something specific so maybe not every character has to has to respond the same way to to, to certain stimuli so yeah I, I guess it's just a book about a strange person as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was interesting the how readily she accepts death and but it's it makes the the name of the comic the title of the comic have this double meaning because it's like coffin bound meaning she's tied to it and anchored to it even in her past but coffin bound meaning that it's a destination that it's her future too and it creates this kind of cyclical process that she can't get away from and that's it's such a fascinating theme to that i love and just want to dive into i think it's a it's a it's a key fact of life yeah um you know it's it's an inescapable thing uh, and there are different ways of dealing with it, which I guess is is kind of the point of the book. It's kind of what I wanted to lift the lid on a little bit, at least for myself, uh, with the book, because there are different ways. You know, you can you can accept it, you can rush towards it, you can you can ignore it. And- so that's kind of what I think. I, I was like, I wonder if she's uh, trying to just make it more difficult for death, 
like if that's what this this road trip is about because or i don't know if she's you know running toward it or not but sorry i just had to jump in because it's it's so fascinating to me this izzy and how she deals with it uh, i mean yeah i, I don't want to <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> sorry i just uh <laughs> more, more issues today at least that's, that's true yeah, yeah. It, it is hard to talk about when uh, before you know when when a comic hasn't come out yet. Um, yeah. If people um, if people want to have a, a sneak peek of this, there is um, the first eight pages are on uh, Sci-Fi um, mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Wire on Sci-Fi.com, and they've um, published like the the Ashcan version. So the the colours are different um, to uh, what you'd get in the in the final comic. But um, there is the the style of those of those colours does lean into the kind of grindhouse aspects that have been mentioned a few times in um, in promotional material. Is that kind of um, an influence on you? That kind of that uh, that aesthetic that you wanted to lean into? I mean, yeah. I mean, I love sort of uh, a lot of pulp pulp-ish and pulp uh, things um you know limbo was very very sort of built on classic noir and then trying to put a put a put a sort of twist on that um so so coffin bound probably is is a similar thing but for um but for grindhouse grindhouse cinema and stuff um i don't know i love those things but also it is it's, it's something i find really joyous about taking something that at its core is, is really really pulpy and then trying to talk about something uh try and try and use it as a, as a sort of framework to talk about something else altogether yeah i don't know um I, i'm at my core i'm a i'm a i'm a horror guy and the, and the grindhouse thing has always been like a huge part of that just wanting to do i, I have sort of strong opinions about horror how horror does and doesn't work in comics um, and most of the ways it works in other in other mediums, it doesn't work in comics. So a lot of the thing you end up doing instead is is trying to take the trappings and create something a little bit more sinister and a little bit more um, insidious that has to sort of creep up on you. Um, and so something that has really strong trappings, like the grindhouse look or or, or the sort of pulp look, um, it, it lets you sort of do that. You talked about, um, you know, you and Danny wanted to come up, build a project together because of your shared interests. Is this Grindhouse kind of thing one of those shared interests? Oh, yeah, definitely. Sort of a lot of Grindhouse stuff we talked about, a lot of skulls, a lot of birds. Um, mm. Just end up sending us each other's pictures of birds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look at this creepy bird, Dot yeah, JPEG. <laughs> that's a great way to build a friendship <laughs> yeah i think um i think the book works in that sense and, and it is it is tricky isn't it you know horror is such a um you know visceral medium in film but recreating that on the comics page is is really really tricky you know there's a lot to do with a lot of it leans on the art and, and the pacing and the timing. You know, a, a couple I can think of that were uh, have been successful, like is uh, like Nailbiter really worked for me, um, and uh, Harrow County works in a different way, in a kind of uh, an unnerving way. Um, but um, but yeah, it is it is a tricky thing to capture in comics. Gideon Falls had me. Uh, I was reading that in broad daylight, waiting for my car to get fixed, and I was still terrified. <laughs> I've, I've not uh, I've not read all of Gideon Falls. I need to dive into that. 
That's a good one. I think um, I, when, uh, funnily enough, when Ryan um, was on the show, Ryan O'Sullivan was last on, um, we talked about um, Uzumaki and Junji Ito. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the comic that has stuck in my mind as, as probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced, purely because it's just so bizarre and it's just so strange to uh, that Ito takes this idea of like a spiral that is just innocent enough. Like you can get one on a cinnamon bun, it, they, you know, they're everywhere. And then it suddenly takes it and just makes it this horrifying body horror thing that's just unspeakable on the page. Yeah, I mean, Ito... Ito is like in his own class. I ha, you know, I have all these sort of theories on, on, on how horror does and doesn't work. And, and they kind of go out the window with him because I would say he's the only artist I've seen draw something worse than you could imagine, imagine it. You know, mm. that whole thing of, of, of leave them, you know, leave them wanting more or don't, or don't show the monster because um, whatever we imagine is, is, is so much worse than what you can actually show. Um, which which is a rule that's often used for film and, and everything as well as as well as for comics. Um, mm. you, you know the one uh, Amagara Fault. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, the one where uh, you know, sorry, spoilers if anyone hasn't hasn't read it, but um, the one where where people find these cracks in in a in a rock wall and these cracks whisper to them they're human shaped and they end up squeezing themselves through them. And yeah, and they get narrower and more distorted the deeper they go, and then you, this sort of story ends with this someone coming out the other end, and you know how distorted and horrific uh, they are. And I remember reading that one and thinking, in any other medium, I wouldn't want to see that. I would want the implication that they are coming out the other end. I wouldn't. I, I think even in prose, you know, even where you where you wouldn't be showing, I wouldn't want the description of it. Mm. I would just want the implication that it's going to happen, and then you turn to that last page in the in in the comic and how Edo draws it, and it's so horrific that mm. he's he's absolutely nailed it. Yeah, he's a, he's a special a special beast. Yeah, a one off case. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about your you know the the concept of of. Uh, theatre and then theatrics and the kind of over-exaggeration in in comics and how that kind of ties in with theatre as well because there's a page, um, the introduction of Earth Eater uh, in this issue and um, this is on sci-fi.com as well so I don't want to feel as though people think I'm I'm spoiling the issue before it comes out. It it is out there for people to have a look at if they want to see it. Um, It's it's got this feeling um, because there's there's three panels and the the dialogue in the caption boxes. You know, each one starts with Earth Eater with an exclamation point and then talks, you know, about the the inner workings of this kind of man beast that we've just been introduced to. Um, but that feels that kind of hyperbole and exaggeration and and uh, and you know, in theatrics for for, for to use the word is. Um, it feels very kind of Kirby-esque. It feels kind of uh, like the introduction of Doomsday in, in Death of Superman and and those kind of superhero introductions to uh, to villains or to, to new characters where it's all exclamation points. It's, you know, they can do this, they can do that, you know, keep watching as, as that. Was that kind of running through your head when you were coming up with those pages? Yeah, I think definitely it was it was engaging with the tropes of, of, um, of the medium. 
Uh, I mean, I think he's quite a Kirby-esque character, um, yeah. especially how Danny's how Danny designed him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, sorry, I haven't sort of dissected it too much in my own head. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's best with a character like that. Yeah, uh, like you know, I I think it was the idea that he's sort of announced in this sort of way just is very very him. You talked about Danny's design as well. Is that something that um, that she came up with all on her own? Did you give her much like kind of advice on how to create this kind of character? Uh, it, it was it was a back and forth thing. Things uh, we mm. we did a lot of sort of um, image sharing um, before before we started. Um, I, th- I think I described, described him. I sort of sent sent three or four things like a cross between this and this and this and this. Mm. And then Danny was like, "Oh, I want to make him like a bulldog." Um, <laughs> in his muscles and stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, that's great." I think the only thing I insisted on was was that he has a he, he has his big um his big fluffy coat, which I think is part of my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a cool part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really good. And um, so that's out on the seventh of August um, from Image Comics. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna sell to us about this issue uh, that we haven't touched on? It's the book I've been you know, sort of eating and breathing for about, about a year now. It's taken us, uh, it took us, we spent, we took our time getting it exactly how we wanted it. And I couldn't be prouder of it. So it's a book about death and action and there's guns and blood and laughs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and theatrics, theatrics. And, and talk of death and yeah. Birds. <laughs> Look at this weird bird. Is basically <laughs> what ended in the book. Yeah. <laughs> there is already is uh, in issue one. Yeah, no, it's re- it's really good, and um, I'm really really yeah, pleased to uh, to see it coming out. Really, really looking forward to to seeing more from it as well. Absolutely. Um, but um, but Matt, I want to talk with you briefly uh, just before we uh, just before we wrap things up. Um, you've uh, you you work with me on, on Multiversity Comics. You you write uh, for Comics Yeti as well. Um, what what when did you first get into you know comics? What's your experience of comics when you were a kid? So um, my my experience with comics, um, my uncle gave me a lot of his old comics, uh, like Wolverine one through four from Claremont and some of, you know, those, those really great classics. Um, and then once I was fully hooked by those, um, my dad was like, well, tell you what, you know, whenever in your T-ball and your baseball, like if you make a home run, I'll buy you a comic, which quickly turned into, if you make a base, I'll give you a comic. (laughs) If you connect with the ball, I, I will buy you a comic book. So needless to say, I didn't get a lot of comics growing up and had to rely on, um, on Christmas and, and birthdays for those. Um, but uh, grew up on Spider-Man in like the Maximum Carnage era and a lot of 90s X-Men. Um, and, you know, when I was a kid, it was the, the golden age of X-Men. Like the comics that I loved most were uh, when I went to Pizza Hut and they gave us like one issue every time we went of this four issue mini series. And it felt so much like the X-Men TV show. And they had mm. trading cards back then. And like, little did I know as a kid that it was just marketing. But to me, I was like, I know so much about 
these characters that I have read very few comic books about, but I've read the back of every single comic book card. I have pried the hologram off of the Fatal Attraction issues, thinking that it was a comic book card. And um, yeah, I loved X-Men growing up. And so as I got older, I I didn't read comics for a a long time. Um, And, you know, I, I don't know if it was just like, I sucked at sports and didn't get any or like everyone's saying comics are for kids or whatever. And then uh, I had a friend and he's like, Hey dude, you have to read why the last man. And I was like, I've never heard of this. What is this? And I read that. And I think he had the first four trades and I was like, Oh, comics can be this. And uh, then I, I started getting back into comics with a lot of that vertigo stuff. Um, and then, you know, I had a friend who was like, he just had a whole bookshelf of comics and was like, here you go, borrow everything. And from that point on, I was hooked, especially with, you know, uh, resources like Humble Bundle and um, just uh, special deals on Comixology, stuff like that, that make comics more affordable. I think that that's it these days, isn't it? You know, you, you have the the wealth of, of being able to experience every comic you've ever want really every comic that you could ever read is out there isn't it really yeah it's uh it's hard because there's just not enough time in the day to read everything good out there Mm. so i uh you know you start eventually like once you're into comics going okay i love these creators i'm gonna follow their work and or like they're recommending reading this and so so you do and you kind of skip around that way yeah yeah and what about you dan where did you um what were you reading when you were a kid i the um the the, the Wolver- that's the claremont miller stuff right mm, yeah that miniseries yeah that i mean that i got when i was like my godmother worked worked in publishing and i remember like really clearly i was about i would be like what nine or nine or so um and i got two books i sort of recalled this recently i got two books of her that, that her company were distributing. And one of them was that it was the, the Claremont Miller Wolverine. And the other yeah. one was uh, an adaptation of um, Mort by Terry Pratchett, uh, which was adapted oh, okay. by Pratchett himself and Graham Higgins. And those were the two comics I sort of read the, you know, graphic novels that I read back to back and back to back and back to back uh, for years. And it kind of, I think probably explains a lot about, about my work. <laughs> Um, that, yeah that's a good cross-section of uh, yeah <laughs> yeah put those two things together and you get coffin band like yeah that. pretty much um, <laughs> so yeah that and and i had a big compendium um uh which was the first two issues of the all the stanley jack kirby dick Coat, well, not all of them but it was the first two issues of spider-man and fantastic four and hulk uh iron man and avengers all in, all in one book um which which again i read back to back and back to back um mm. a thousand times um which i think is really nice to have that really old school stuff in in your dna yeah to see where it kind of came from yeah. and then and then i discovered a uh, swamp thing and and that was that was it that was um that was me that's that's the crucial kind of the turning point yeah for, yeah for Dan. yeah it's a hell of a it's a hell of a thing to turn you as well i think it, it, it's this it's similar to, to what you were saying matt about why the last man you know the 
every you you read comics when you're a kid and you know they are what they are but then there is always that one issue or that one volume or something that turns around and goes oh this is what comics can be you know this is yeah. this is this is what they are you know yeah i think everyone gets yeah. something and, and and swamp thing was um sort of beautiful and dense and the prose was purple it was like Edgar Allan Poe and you know it was like Edgar Allan Poe but with more colors um yeah, yeah. It, it absolutely sort of captured me and it's still the reason I sort of strive towards that that side of things like you know why sh- why shouldn't it be you know <laughs> why shouldn't the page be dense why shouldn't it be sort of um audacious in its bookness yeah um Mm-hmm. Which which comics aren't always? Was that was it like the Alan Moore stuff or was oh, yeah. it the yeah. like the earlier Bernie Wrights yeah, and stuff? The, yeah, the saga yeah. of the Swamp Thing. Yeah, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a first like comic to to claim. But yeah, that um that's really good. Then thank you very much both. Um, I really appreciate chatting with you. Um, getting to know you and the you know the, all the the comics you love and and you as uh, creators and critics. Um, but um. But yeah, this is this has been a great pleasure, and uh, as we say, Coffin Bound is out on the seventh of August. Uh, everyone go buy it when it comes out, and um, and yeah, uh, thank you both. I'll uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Take yeah, care. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank, thank you so much. much, and thanks, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dad. See you later. Great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. That's the issue. Is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter, at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too, at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That's The Issue Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.